Um, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Matt. I'm on staff here at Remedy. I'm our community groups coordinator. Uh, mine is the email address that you always see up at the end of, during the announcements to join community groups. So if you're not in a community group, send me an email. Um, let's get you plugged in because you're only getting part of, part of what Remedy is if you're not in community groups. Um, we are continuing in our, our series. We've got a six-part series going on right now on church membership. And in that, we're going through this book in our community groups, I Am a Church Member. If you don't have one of these books, there's a whole stack of them back here on the info table. Feel free to grab one, take it with you. We'll be using it in our community groups. There are six chapters in the book. We are on chapter four right now, and this is the fourth sermon in our series. So far, we've covered what it means to be a functioning church member, a unifying church member, uh, not having the church be about our personal preferences. And this week, we're going to have a really, uh, a really practical sermon. We're talking about being a praying church member and what it means to pray for our leaders as a church member. So um, I'm up here preaching today. Usually it's Fudd or Jack, uh, one of our elders up here leading us. But as we had talked about it, we thought maybe that would be a little self-aggrandizing if they were up here saying, you know, hey, pray for us. We'll see that Paul actually says that. But I didn't want to throw you guys too much, so I've got the Remedy Preaching uniform on of a plaid shirt. <laughs> I've tried to at least stick with that so, that it, that, so there's some continuity. Um, as we go through this, as we go through this, I think it's really important to know, as we talk about praying for our church leaders, um, we want to know right away, how should I pray and what should I pray for? I mean, that's, that's our, normal, our normal inclination when somebody says, I need prayer. Okay, what, do you, what should I pray for? I think with church leaders, we need, to, we need to stop and we need to look at it just a little bit differently and we need to do a little work ahead of time to say, why should I pray for our church leaders? And if we can understand what the Bible says about our church leaders, about our pastors and our, our elders, we'll understand why we should pray for them and that will influence how we pray for them and what we pray for. So we're going to be going through First um, Timothy today. We're going to be in First Timothy 3. Um, and as we go through this, I'm going to jump around to a lot of other books as well. We're also going to be in Ephesians, Acts, Hebrews, Colossians, and Philippians. Our anchor chapter will be First Timothy, so feel free to stay there. I'll read the, all the other passages. You're, happy, you're welcome to follow along with me. I'm happy for you to do that, but don't think that you have to flip to all of them. I'll, I'll make sure that I read them all. But we're going to be going through 1 Timothy to talk about why we should pray for church leaders, and specifically chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, that if you're familiar with 1 Timothy at all, you know that this is the, the passage that's a, that lays out what are the requirements for a pastor, or the requirements, the qualifications of an elder in the church. And we're going to look at these in just a little bit different light today. Um, than what we would normally do. Now, now, normally at Remedy, we pick one book of the Bible or, or a very uh, particular passage and we go through it and we dissect it and we pull it apart and we really dig into it to see what it means. If you want to get that for First Timothy, it's the very first sermon series that Fudd preached when the church was planted a little over five years ago. Feel free to jump on iTunes, go to the podcast. It's all the way down at the bottom. You can get all of First Timothy and see where this fits in context. But we're going to be using it today to really understand why to pray for our church leaders and how to be a praying church member, especially for our leaders. Okay, um, let, me, let me pray to get us started, and then we'll go ahead and dive into the text. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, um, we come before you and we say thank you that we're able to gather openly in worship, that we are able to come together and, and boldly um, declare your name and what you've done. And Lord, I pray that, 
Spirit would be here and move among us as we have this conversation and we hear your word. Um, we pray that we would be changed by your word, that, that something inside us would desire to repent from where we've been and that we would desire to follow Jesus more closely because of what you've written to us. So Lord, I pray that you would, you would move through me, that my words wouldn't get in the way as we, as we dig into, into what you've written. And Lord, I pray that it would be used in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be in 1 Timothy. And, and what we see here in 1 Timothy is that this is probably the, the best description in 1 Timothy of church government, structure, organization that we get anywhere in the scriptures. We see some parallel passages in Titus and things like that, but, but this is what lays it out best for us. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says this, starting in verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. I think it helps for us to understand, before we start going through this kind of verse by verse, it helps us to understand where, where 1 Timothy comes from, because it, it will influence um, how we look at the passage. So this book, 1 Timothy, it's an epistle. An epistle just means it's a letter written by an apostle. So it's, it's written by Paul. And in this case, it's a pastoral epistle. And there are three pastoral epistles. We've got 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And a pastoral epistle means that it's a book written by an apostle to somebody in church leadership, to another pastor, to give them instructions on how they are to run the church. So we know that Paul put this together specifically for Timothy to say, here's what, here's what is expected of you. And it lays out everything from church structure to leadership to qualifications of deacons to elders to how to take care of widows, how to treat your slaves, everything that a church, a functioning church, might need to know. Now we have to understand where Paul comes from when he writes this. So he's been under house arrest in Rome. He is released from house arrest, and he starts a missionary journey, and he's headed east across the Mediterranean, and he's going to head up into Asia Minor. And after he gets out of prison, he takes Timothy and Titus with him. And as he starts across his journey across, across the Mediterranean, he stops in Cyprus, and he leaves Titus there at a church in Cyprus to oversee it, and he continues up into what is modern-day Turkey to the church in Ephesus. Now, he's written to the Ephesians before, and if you read Acts, you see the church in Ephesians has had some troubles before. They've had a few challenges, but Paul really cares for them. And so he's written them a letter before, uh, the book of Ephesians. He's written them a letter before explaining who Christ is, what Christ has done, who you are in Christ, and, and your identity in Christ. So he goes to visit this church in Ephesus, and he gets there, and he finds that there's a lot of false teaching going on. Now, we, we see this in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, that there's false teaching going on. We don't know the nature of it exactly, but it's, but it's important enough that Paul spends some time there. He gets the church straightened out, and it's important enough that he leaves Timothy behind, and he says, you're going to stay here, and you're going to oversee this church, and you're going to take care of it to make sure it kind of stays on the straight and narrow, that nothing goes awry. And after he leaves, he writes this letter back to Timothy. Actually, there's two of them, but this is the first letter that he writes to Timothy, saying, 
here's how you run a church. Here's how it gets put together. Here's what the requirements are. Now, I think it's really important to remember as we look at the tactical pieces of where did the letter come from, how is it put together, who's in it, and things like that, we have to remember that this is the inspired word of God. Paul wrote this. These are Paul's words, but they're God's words that he's given Paul. He is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words and put them together in this order. So when we read about church government and leadership and qualifications of pastors and elders and deacons, we have to remember this isn't Paul saying, here's what I think would be nice to do. This is God saying, here's what I want you to tell my church and to tell my pastors and why it's important. And this is God laying down the structure of the church, not Paul. So as we dive into this text, we have to realize these are God's words, not just Paul's words. And by going through this, it helps us understand that why behind why we should pray, not just how we should pray. Okay? So let's jump into the text a little bit and, and see where this goes. So we start with verse 1, and it says, If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, that's really easy to jump ahead in this passage to verses 2 through 5 and look at that list of qualifications and, and try and figure out what they all mean. But let's stop here at this very first piece. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, this is the idea that someone desires to lead a church. And we have to understand where this desire comes from. This isn't, this isn't a, a man-made desire. So I don't know if you've, if you've hung around with kids very much, um, but as you hung, hang around little kids, you can always go downstairs in the, in the kids' area. We need volunteers down there. But as, as you hang around with kids, a lot of times we play, what are we going to be when we grow up? And we hear astronauts, and we hear musicians, and one of my daughters says she wants to be a lawyer, and we have all kinds of, of roles that kids want to take on. Very rarely do you hear somebody play pastor. It's just not one of those things that naturally comes out at kids to begin with. But as they get older... And I talked with Fudd earlier about this. I asked Fudd, I said, what did you want to be when you grew up? And he goes, oh, in middle school, I decided I wanted to be a youth pastor. We understand if we look at the passage that say God will give us the desires of our hearts, this doesn't mean that whatever we want, God gives us. It means that God puts in us the desire of what we should do. So while kids may not naturally want to be pastors, they are called to be pastors. They are given to, the, to leadership. We also can see in Ephesians 4... This was the first place I'll jump to. In Ephesians 4, Fudd preached through it a few weeks ago as a functioning church member. Fudd preached through uh, these gifts that were given. And Ephesians 4 says this. It says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Pause there. What it says is when Christ... When Christ was risen, when Christ raised into heaven, he gave gifts out. And these aren't the typical gifts as we're going to go through this list. These aren't spiritual gifts that we're talking about. These are roles that we're talking about. Verse 11 then says, he gave, these are the gifts, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the works of ministry. So what we can see is my point number one of why we should pray is the office of a pastor, it, it's an office of divine appointment. It's not a human invention. This isn't something that man came up with. This is a gift. Pastors were given to the church as a gift, and the ability to pastor and teach was given to pastors as a gift. This isn't something that, that you walk away from. When you have that calling to pastor a church, to walk away is to be in disobedience. So this is something that is actually a weight that pastors carry of, I am called to be a pastor and I need to obey and follow. 
So as we think about why we should pray for our pastors, the first thing that we have to see is this was, this was God-ordained. Paul, in talking to the Ephesians when he was there in Acts 20, he actually says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. God has given us our pastors. So when we get to realize that this is not a career choice, I don't know many people that go into the, the ministry to make a lot of money and have a big house and things like that. This is not a career choice. This is a calling of God. This is something that's placed on their hearts, and there's a weight to that. You have to respond to that. So when we get to that end of how should we pray for our pastors, how should we pray for our elders, we can pray for obedience. We can pray that they would walk forward in the spirit, that they would walk forward in their calling, and that they would do so obediently, that they wouldn't fight against it. We can also pray for them to have open hearts to where the spirit leads them, and open minds as to where they should be taken. So for us to really understand the first weight that's placed on pastors and why we should pray for them, we have to understand that this is something that God set up, not something that they just one day decided, this is what I want to go do. Okay. So we keep going through the passage. We see the second half of that first sentence says, he desires a noble task. We'll stop there again. We'll just take it in small chunks. And this, this is point number two that we start talking about, why should I pray? that it's a noble task that they are called to. This is, it's a good work. It's a work of greatest importance and designed for the greatest good. We can also translate this idea of noble task into a couple other words. The Greek can go a few ways. It can be beautiful or it can be important. But it's a noble task. It's a beautiful task and it's an important task. So why is it? What is it that they're called to? What is this task that they're given? If they're given the 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 ordaining by God to be a pastor, the gifting by God, what are they supposed to go do? In Acts, Paul talks about his, his conversion three or four times, and he gives, he gives witness testimony. Um, and I picked the one out of Acts 26. He's actually talking to King Agrippa, who's come and said, who are you and what are you doing? And he gives his testimony again, and, and we have to remember about Paul, he there was this guy named Saul, and he was a persecutor of the Christians, and he was relentless, and spoiler alert, he becomes Paul in the end. Um, but he gives, this, he gives this account of what he was called to by Jesus. It's a divine appointment. It says, starting in verse 13 of Acts 26, About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and, I, and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. Here it comes, the, the task. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is the gospel. Paul is called, he is gifted, he is told he's going to be a minister and a pastor by Jesus, and he's told to go out and preach this important message of salvation. He's told to preach the same message that we hear from our pastors and elders every week and as often as possible. We hear it in our community groups. 
This idea that we are separated from God, that we have sin inside us, that, that God is holy and perfect and he can't stand sin. And because we are sinful, we cannot be in his presence. And Romans tells us that the penalty for sin is death. Because we are sinful, because we are broken, we're not, we're not allowed to be with God and we will die. And this comes from the, the original sin back in Genesis. But it also tells us the good news that we have to get to, that God has made a way for us to be in relationship with him. God has said, for you to be with me, you have to be perfect. And the only way you can be perfect is for someone to pay the penalty of what I've set out, so the penalty of death. And so Christ comes and pays the penalty for us. And because Christ has taken the penalty that is due to me, I can take Christ's righteousness, Christ can take my sin, and I can stand blameless and blemishless in front of God. This is the good news. This is what the pastors are called to teach. This is what we need to be reminded of all the time. This is, if we're a believer, this is how our pastors build us up and remind us of our identity in Christ. And if you're not a believer, this is an invitation, and I'm, I'm pleading with you to say, take the seeds, understand what Christ has done for you. If you have questions, find FUD, find me, find somebody you came with, ask questions, but don't leave here without knowing what it means to have eternal life, to be redeemed and to be able to stand in front of your creator through the righteousness of Christ. As we think of this noble task, this important task, and we look at the weights that are placed upon pastors, and we say they're ordained, they have to do this. They're gifted. They are called. They must walk forward in obedience. And they're given the task of preaching the gospel. It's another weight. It's something else that we can pray for our pastors in. Now, why is this so important? Romans 10 tells us that faith comes through hearing. So if our pastors aren't preaching this message to us, that's where our seeds of faith come from. The pastors need to be talking about the gospel. They need to be sharing with us the salvation of Christ. Because if faith comes through hearing, that's where we get our faith. God gives us our faith and we hear it through our pastors. I like to quote old dead guys as much as possible because they're a lot smarter than we generally are. Um, John Owen writes, he says, the first and principal duty of a pastor is to feed the flock by diligent preaching of the word. It's a promise relating to the New Testament that God would give unto his church, quote, pastors according to his own heart, which should feed them with knowledge and understanding. It's from Jeremiah. This is by teaching or preaching the word and no otherwise. The care of preaching the gospel was committed to Peter and in him unto all true pastors of the church under the name of feeding. Their work is to labor in the word and the doctrine and thereby feed the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made them overseers we can see that this is the why we should pray for pastors is because they have the responsibility of handling the word of God and preaching it to us, sharing the gospel with us. Called to do it, given a good task, and they are required to preach this word by God. So how can we pray? We can pray for their preaching and we can pray for their teaching. We can pray for how they handle the word of God. We can pray for their obedience in exegeting the scriptures correctly. We can pray for strength from the Spirit. They can't do this on their own. And we can pray for boldness for them in speaking to the lost. And we can pray for 
wisdom in speaking to those of us that are believers and how they shepherd us. Okay, point number three. We'll get into this, this longer piece, verses two through five. And this is really... If you've ever read a job description, if you've ever applied for a job, they always have a list. There are skills and things that you need to know and qualifications for this job that you're applying for, and you look at the list and either you do qualify or you don't qualify. That's exactly what this next piece is. Verses 2 through 5 are the job qualifications of a pastor. And it says, therefore an overseer must be, and there's a whole list of them, above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, violent, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, manages his own household well, keeping kids in submission. All of these things. These are, these are the job requirements of a pastor. The difference between these and the job requirements that we see are these are mostly char- character traits. These aren't skills that you can go out and learn somewhere. These are ways of living. These are ways of being. These are your identity. And what we see is, as we go through this list, it's very similar to the list that FUD went through on being a functioning church member. He went through 1 Corinthians 13 and talked about the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not boast. And as you go through that list, you go, I'm out. I, I can't do all these perfectly. And pastors have to look at this list and say the same thing. And we start with the very first one, above reproach. Who can't point a finger at somebody else and say, I don't like the way you do that. I don't agree with you. This list of job descriptions is impossible for a pastor to live out. Some of them are the ways that they strive to live, but some of them have to be God-given spirit things. So as we think about this weight that we have, and we say, a pastor is called, must respond, he's been given the most important message ever, and he's given a list of job qualifications that he can never live up to we start to say this is, this is an impossible task that's been set before them without the Spirit. Now, thankfully, Philippians 4, verse 13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So we know where the power to live out this job description comes. We know that it comes through the Spirit, just like it does for us. We can't live out all the things that we are called to be without the Spirit in us, without what Jesus has done for us. So just like the pastor's, we have a dependence on the Spirit as well. But if we think about how we can pray, this is not a pray for our pastors to be able to, to buckle down and muscle through it and say, I've got this, i got it covered, I can do this on my own. We have to pray for pastors to be able to be dependent on God, to pray for you know, their willingness to submit to the Spirit. To say, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. I have to have God. This is impossible to do without God. We can pray for the strength that God gives them to lead us well. Called, most important message ever, impossible job qualifications, it gets worse. Verse 6. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So we have two traps that are outlined here. We have the trap of pride and we have the trap of perception. This trap of pride is a really dangerous one, especially for somebody, anybody that stands up here with a microphone and says, I know this, listen to me, follow me. Pride is an easy trap to fall into. 
Pride is that idea of not only am I better than everybody else at times, but moreover is that I don't have to listen to God. I can make my own rules. Pride is I am the highest authority in my life. And this is the trap that gets laid for God. The scary part is it is a trap that's laid. It is a snare. We have constant opposition For those that love Christ, there is somebody that hates God so much that he wants to see God fail. And it's because of pride that our opposition exists. The the angels fell through pride. And it's through pride that they became devils. That they lusted after God's job, that they said, I knew better. That's the danger of pride. That's how important this pride sin is. If we track most sins back and we look at sins that are laid out in the Bible, most of them come from pride. Most of them come from saying, I know better than God. And as we read this passage in 1 Timothy, we know that the devil is actively laying traps and snares for our pastors to fall into pride, trying to get them to think that they know better than the word that they're called to preach. We also have to look at this idea, this second half of the verse, uh, well thought of by outsiders, this idea of perception as reality. In my day job, I do a lot of consulting for, for companies, and this idea of perception as reality is one that we hang on to quite a bit. It's, it's what you put out there, it's what people believe about you. And we, we live in a world that's very quick to judge, especially pastors in the church. We see so many pastors fall. We see so many blogs and news articles about where pastors are leading Christians astray. People are just looking to poke holes in Christianity. They're looking to find places where pastors have not lived up to what they think an ideal of a pastor is. And that's what brings the church down. And we have to understand these are also snares and traps of the devil. These are laid out to intentionally ensnare pastors, to fight against Christianity, to push people away from the saving good news of Christ. One pastor wrote, and this is an encouragement to pastors, one pastor wrote, Satan would not oppose you if God did not intend to use you. And I think this applies to all of us as well. We're all made ministers. Matthew 28 says, go make disciples. Paul writes, you are all ministers of the word. We are all called to go and share the gospel. But pastors are meant to do it in a special way. Pastors are are given a, a calling that's different than ours. And we have to understand that they're on the front lines fighting this fight. They're the ones that are going to be most opposed, just as we are opposed. So be encouraged when you meet opposition, you've got to be doing something right. So how should we pray for them? We understand divine calling, best news ever impossible job qualifications, and somebody's actively working against them. So the way that we can pray for them is, number one, pray for humility, because this trap of pride is bigger than any other. Pray for your pastor's humility. And pray for their protection as well. Pray that they would be kept away from these traps and snares. We should pray for wisdom and perseverance and obedience and steadfastness. We're also told the best way We see this when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, the way that he fights against temptation and the way that he fights against being tempted to to sin 
by the devil is by being in the word. He quotes scripture. So we can pray for our pastors to be in the word for their personal study time to use scripture to fight against these traps and snares. All right, so those are our big, those are the first four big ones. Divine calling, best news ever, impossible tasks, somebody's fighting against them. And that covers 1 Timothy. And I said I was going to jump around a little bit. So I want to take you to a few other places that show what a pastor is called to. This is the idea of letting scripture interpret scripture that we can read one passage and we get a great view of what's meant, but we get a more complete view by going other places in Scripture and letting them influence our view of Scripture and fill out that picture. Books of the Bible aren't meant to stand alone by themselves. They're meant to influence one another. So let's go to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who would have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. A lot of times we read this passage and we get stuck on that first part, obey your leaders and submit to them, and we hear that that's our calling. That's what we're supposed to do. Our leaders are put here by divine appointment, and so are we. We're not here by accident. You are here at this time, at this place, in these seats, by God's plan. And you're a part of this church by God's plan as well, which means that Fudd and Jack, as our leaders, as our pastors, as our elders, are put over us for a reason, and we're called to submit to their authority and obey them. But the weight that falls here is in the second half of this, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those will have to give an account. They're told they're in opposition. They're told that there are going to be challenges. They're told that they're snares. They're given impossible job qualifications. They're given the most important message ever, and God says, you have to go do it. And I'm going to hold you accountable for how well you do it. The first time I ever walked backstage, and I, I, I don't remember when this was, but, but this, this podium that Fudd uses, he uses the same one every week. And right here, written across the top of it on a piece of masking tape says, keep watch over their souls. You will give an account. And I think this is the biggest weight. Standing up here sharing the gospel means there is a weight that they will have to answer for how well they handled the word of God. And if that doesn't deserve prayer, nothing does. Matthew Henry, one of my favorite old dead guys, says they must give an account how they have discharged their duty and what has become of the souls committed to their trust whether any have been lost through their neglect and whether any of them have been brought in and built up under their ministry. Fudd and Jack are held accountable for anybody that comes to church that is a believer that wanders away. They're held accountable for that soul. They will give an account of how well they handle the word and how they shepherded those people. And that's a scary proposition. And if you want a reason to pray, that's it. So we should pray for their perseverance. We should pray for their perseverance to walk in the way that they are called. We should pray for their steadfastness. How discouraging is it when you lead somebody somewhere and they decide not to follow? It's very easy to stop trying. So we can pray for them if we understand the why of the weight that they all be held accountable. We can pray for them to say, keep going, be steadfast. We can pray for their handling of the word of God. We can also pray for our own obedience. 
that we would want to follow well, that we would want to listen to them and we would want to submit to them. And that, that can be a tough one. My final point is that there are things more important than the church. And that sounds a little funny. The things that are more important than the church, a lot of ministers, a lot of pastors fall into this trap where they put the church first and they put their personal study and the leadership of their family second and their personal study and the leadership of their family become neglected because they are so invested in their ministry. It's most important that Fudd and Jack have a strong personal relationship with Christ. That they are in the word. That they're not in the word just to be preparing sermons, but in the word to build up their own souls. That they are in the word to remind themselves that they are followers of Christ as well. That they've been saved just like we've been saved. And that they need that encouragement too. Then they need to be leading their families well. They need to be good husbands before they become good pastors. And if this gets reversed, something starts to break. They can't be good pastors if they're not leading their family well. Your personal walk has to take precedence in, in many cases. So, so what should we pray for there? We should be praying for their families. And specifically, we should be praying for their wives as well. Pastors' wives have a unique responsibility of building up their husbands, reflecting their husbands, how well they're handling the word. There's no better mirror than my spouse. There's nobody that can point out the things that I can grow in better than my wife. And pastors' wives are that important to them. And we should be praying for their wives as well. It's a it's a burden. It's a burden. We can also pray for um, their physical and mental health, that they would stay healthy and they can lead us well. So the point of all of this is to say, we need to understand where Fudd and Jack are and the weight that's been placed upon them, that they are, they are called to this role, that they're given impossible job descriptions, to preach the good news of Christ that someone fights against them that they are called to lead their family well that they're called to be good Christians and that they will give an account at the end and so we should be praying for them they get encouragement from other pastors they are connected to other churches and other pastors can give them encouragement to walk steadfastly but we are the body that they are given. And as we've been talking about this church membership and we've been talking about unifying church members and functioning church members, this idea of body has come up over and over. We are part of the body and we should be taking care of the body just as they are part of the body. So we need to be praying for them. We need to be actively praying for them. It's... um, it's easy to think that, that pastors sometimes have it all figured out, that they've got it all put together. But our last, our last example comes from Colossians, and this is Paul again, talking about prayer. Paul says, Continue, 
continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, asking people to pray. At the same time, pray also for us. Paul is asking for prayer for himself. And here's the cool part. Here's what Paul asks for. Not prayer that he's able to do something in particular, but he asks for prayer. He says, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear of how I ought to speak. Paul asked for prayer that he would be a better pastor so we can pray for our pastors in the handling of their word and how well they lead us and that they can be better pastors. We're going to wrap up and we're going to do something just a little bit different today. Um, In just a minute, Fudd's going to come out here and lead us in the Lord's Supper. And as I talked about this weight that's been put on FUD, this, this requirement to share the good news, this requirement to lead us well, this requirement to be held accountable, you're about to see it in action. You're about to see our pastor's heart as he loves us well in leading us in the Lord's Supper. So normally I would close us in prayer, but I want to do something a little bit different. We've got an opportunity here to pray for our pastors. We've got an opportunity right now to take a minute, close our eyes, bow our heads, and pray for Fudd and Jack. And so I'm inviting you to do that. I'm going to leave the stage. Fudd's going to come out in a minute. But I would encourage you to pray right now for Fudd and Jack, for their obedience. Pray in thankfulness that they are our pastors and that they do lead us so obediently. Let us pray. the calling that you've given to pastors certainly is weighty but a joy but you've given us all a calling as believers to be ministers of reconciliation and so I pray for us all as well that we would be fervent in prayer kind of church members that want to pray for our leadership but also pray for each other realize as you are making all things new that this is a it's a tough task I pray that we would all be reliant upon the leading of the spirit I pray it's in Jesus name Amen